You're listening to the story of your life with Nick Jaina on X-Ray FM. This week's conversation is with a man who played Macbeth in a Civil War-era fort in San Francisco. But then there's all this talking, like right before people are going to discover that the king is dead, and this this one guy um, talks about how it was a night of um, bad omens, um, and I think it, it leads up to me, which is kind of a very poignant and one of the funniest moments, if not the funniest moment in the play. So Lennox is just this guy who's there talking about the night, and he says, the night has been unruly. Where we lay, our chimneys were blown down, and as they say, 60 lamentings heard in the air. Strange screams of death and prophesying with accents terrible of dire combustion and confused events new hatched to the woeful time. The obscure bird clamored the livelong night. Some say the earth was feverous and did shake. And there's a pause. And he's talking to Macbeth, who's just gone through this whole night. And Macbeth just says, "'Twas a rough night." Um, I, I, it's possible that I'm the only person who thinks that's funny. <laughs> But I think it's hilarious. loved about going to play Macbeth was that I wanted to find the Macbeth who was really jovial and really happy. Um, and while that's my favorite line, that was a rough night because it's funny and poignant and kind of dark, um, my favorite scene in the whole play is when Banquo and Macbeth come back from war and they first encounter the witches. Because you get this very, very brief sense of Macbeth um, and Banquo like having gone out, had a successful war campaign, they're really good friends. They're, they're kind of, you know, exhausted um, and happy and experiencing, you get to see them kind of experience them, some weirdness of the world, right? So this is a scene in the start of the play, they're coming back and say, you know, so fair and foul a day I have not seen, and they're joking with each other. And then these witches show up and they call Macbeth by all of these titles that he doesn't actually have. And they say, hail to thee, Thane of Glamis. You know, and you see that, you see like Banquo and Macbeth like think, well, should we just kill these people? Like, they've just been killing other people. Maybe we should just kill them. They're kind of crazy. And then maybe we should take them seriously. No, that's ridiculous. Like, maybe you will be king. If I'm king, maybe you'll be king. And this is just a great, like, 
brothers in arms joking, and I love it, right? And I also love the idea that he's that Macbeth is 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 jovial and happy, and also suffering essentially from like something like PTSD or something um, that he struggles with. But you know, the beautiful things about about that struggle, if you're going to show it on the stage, is that you don't show the struggle, right? You show the jovial and happy side, um, and you see him work and have to fight to get that. You don't show him go crazy because that's not as interesting. I guess it's like a, 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 a larger version of the idea that, like, oh, if you have to play drunk, play trying not to be drunk, right? site-specific place like that that is so windy and so cold um, and so noisy um, I think that all of the and, and, and to have like the, the conflicts we talked about like the three directors and very very different aesthetics and different visions um, the, the whole production was, was more than anybody could really tackle Former and then to watch it as I mean, you know, hear from the audience or watch the audience have this experience to have them have be able to see a very intimate scene in a little nook of this really cool space, very quiet, out of the wind, you know, m making them have to lean in. And then as that scene ends and they leave, there being a very brief moment of they're not of the audience not knowing what to do, and then hearing the voice from behind turning around and looking at the parade grounds, seeing the next scene happen there in a huge container, right? A container that, I mean, honestly, couldn't fill all of that space. Um, and then look up and see that there are two other groups of the audience 
who just had the same experience somewhere else. Like that structural stuff is really cool. Um, and I think that's the biggest success of the play. And then like, I think really um, credit is due to all three of the directors for coming up with how that worked. something that's really fun to be completely unleashed like that you can't do it in a state inside right you can't do it you have to you work all the time as an actor with the idea of a container um, and you can make that container any size and as long as you fill it with energy um, that performance is going to be interesting to watch um, and I saw like in, in acting class I saw this happen a lot you, a teacher would get you to go full out screaming yelling running across the room and then ask you to come and just sit down um, next to you, just take all of those same moments where you were screaming, yelling, running across the room, but contain yourself so tightly that the only movements you could make were leaning away or leaning into each other. And then you'd watch that scene, and it would be so intense because it would have all of the energy of running around the space and screaming and yelling um, contained very tightly um, into this, this little physical space. Um, and so there, you know, you were asked to have a very large container. Um, but it was okay because no matter what you did, that space was much, much larger. Um, so that was kind of fun to be unleashed, especially with a role like Macbeth, when there's bellowing like in the fight scenes and there's yelling. There's a great line at the end when Macduff comes up and finds him and he says something like, villain, what is, what is your name? Or something like that. You know, there's a few lines in the, in the middle of which Macbeth says, my name's Macbeth. Like being able to just like, bellow that as loud as I could with a sword in my hand like there was something that was just badass about that and it was great um, you know and then there's a whole fight scene running up to the roof underneath the bridge and the moon and get my head cut off look like I get kicked off to the side of the building which freaked people out it was fun
everyone keeps seeing the ghost of Banquo because he's just killed his best friend. Um, he keeps seeing the ghost, and so he, he flips back and forth between like having a conversation with people and then seeing this ghost and talking to the ghost, and it's the first scene where lots of people get to see Macbeth's crazy. And we did it with the audience. We set up a huge table that the whole audience sat at, and, and we actually ate food with them, and then peppered throughout were the actors. Um, that was a fun way to do that scene, and I think Val did an amazing job with that scene. Um, and if she had a director that could really contain the moments and really make her get very specific with the beats, because that is a that is an incredibly difficult scene where you have to play crazy a lot and you have to turn from crazy into like you have to turn from seeing a ghost and reacting to it to, to like realizing you're seeing a ghost and there's just a there's a ton of shift shifting and it's it's very hard. So I think she did an incredible job um, and with the. Uh, a director better able to, to focus on that instead of all of the structural things. Um, that could have been an amazing scene. Yeah, I mean, we were freezing all the time, and it was always, the wind was always louder than us, no matter what we did, and like, if you were properly warmed up, that was okay, but for the people who weren't, it, it was destructive. <clears throat> it was all the drama of the production, too. I mean, you know that's a play that has a reputation for, like, never being able to be done without, like, serious issues. Although... In truth, my experience is that just theater production in general has serious issues. <laughs> I, I think it just gets talked about more of that point. Through that whole time, I was living in the Presidio. Yeah. But, you know, the Presidio was changed over in 1993, and this was 2008, I think. 
it was great. It was the great version of that. Like I was living in in converted officers' quarters in a three-bedroom apartment with a living room that looked out over a field of lupin onto Baker Beach. Um, and like I had rented this place sight unseen, and the roommates had been like, you know, oh, it's got you know, it's got an ocean view, and like has been living. I've been living in New York. I've been living. You know, it was like. You know, like like that means that like if you if you if you wedge your way out onto the fire escape and like lean dangerously out over on your tiptoes, you can see uh, two inches of the river. You know, <laughs> so it's got a river view. Mm -hmm. And the first thing they did when they showed up is they they had made me a dinner and they showed up and they first said, but before we eat, sit down and eat. Like they just took me by the hand. They were just like, you have to come see this. It was night, but you could see it. It was just this like. I wasn't even like living in San Francisco. So you're right, though, like we had all this fighting at the fort. But then I'd get on my motorcycle and go back home and like eat delicious food from a CSA, do some yoga overlooking the ocean, and then just walk around this this beautiful this beautiful old military base. And it also was a it was a very good time. Like I've gone back since then, and it's still very beautiful. But a ton of development has happened between 2008 and now. So like, there was this old marine hospital that was totally abandoned with awesome graffiti all over it. And like, it just had this, the Presidio in that moment had enough going on that it was a very luxurious place to live, but it hadn't been plowed through with development. So it still felt like this secret, mm -hmm. abandoned place in San Francisco. Um, it was kind of magical. I think that was, I think it was like that for probably a very brief moment, maybe 10 years.
This has been the story of your life with Nick Jano. Today's episode featured music from the Satellite Ensemble and a conversation with Chris Cromwell.